So this morning is Thanksgiving, and uh, we're going to be continuing our time in the book of Philippians. This morning we're going to continue our uh, study through the, the, this epistle, but we're going to be doing it in a little bit of a different order than we typically do. Normally when, when we do series, we go from like right from the start to the finish, you do chapter one, on and on and on and on. Uh, the way that we're doing this study is we're going to be dropping into certain parts for a little bit and then dropping into another part and then dropping into another part. We're going to get through the whole book, but we're just going to move through it in a little different way. Um, so, Pastor Ernest started us off last week. Computer's being goofy today. Started us off last week with rivalry, or not rivalry, but partnership and grace. And it was a great lead into communion, which we got to celebrate together as a, as a church family. This week, we get to be almost at the end of the epistle. We're looking at Paul's closing remarks and his, uh, his exhortations and um, what he's wanting to say to this, this church, and it really fits nicely into our theme of Thanksgiving for today. So I've entitled our message today, um, The Recipe for a Thankful Heart. Rick already read it for us, so we're in Philippians 4. Um, 4 to 13. Not sure how many of you know this. I know that some of you know this, but Ann Janabi make the very, very best cookies. And you can, you can argue with me all you want. It doesn't really matter because I know I'm right. Ann has the perfect recipe. Uh, she knows the perfect order how to put it in. She cooks them until they are slightly crispy and able to soak up the maximum amount of milk before falling apart right? We don't want cookies to fall apart. We want them to soak up milk, and then they stay in there nicely. Okay, so she makes the very best cookies. I know I'm biased, and that's okay, but the evidence from Friday night was very clear. They cleaned up two batches of cookies in about, well, I guess there was four left in about 20 minutes. So the evidence is clear. Cookies are good. As I was looking at our passage this morning, it occurred to me that if we follow this passage, we can see a specific set of directions and as these directions come together, it's really almost like a recipe on how we, can be, how we can have a thankful heart. It's possible to have a thankful heart, but it is not a given. Um, I know some of you who bake quite a bit, just because you have a recipe that you're following does not mean that it's going to turn out perfectly, does it? <laughs> there are lots of recipes that happen that fall apart, so that's not a given that it's going to happen. But if you do it right and you follow the instructions there's a pretty good chance you'll get close, all right? So the recipe for a thankful heart, and uh, I put the verses in here for you so you know where I'm getting it from. Ingredient number one says, rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. As I was reading through our passage for today, this little hymn kept coming to my mind. Um, I think it came from the very first um, word in the passage, and it's not the one that you're going to be thinking. It's not rejoice in the Lord always, if that's the one that you're thinking it is. All right, here it is. Four sentences. That's how long this, this one is. And if we follow these directions, the outcome is, pro, is pretty profound. So, praise God from whom? Somebody say it. Yeah. Praise him, all creatures, here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. For me, rejoicing and praise are the same thing. Rejoicing and praise are the same thing. 
So that little song is called The Doxology. And when we were growing up, that was actually a song that we sang a lot as a, as a way of thanks before we, we had meals together. As a, as a family and even as a, as a church family, we often did that too. But how many of you actually know the story behind this little song? It's kind of a cool one, actually. So in 1674, an Anglican priest named Thomas Ken wrote a simple song of praise for the students at England's Winchester College. Thomas Ken was so serious about spiritual formation for his students that he actually wrote three hymns for them to sing every day. One was to be sung in the morning, and it was 13 stanzas long. So that would take a couple of minutes to sing that one. One was to be sung in the evening, and the other one was to be sung when you were having trouble sleeping. All three hymns ended the same way with these four simple lines that we now call the doxology. Although the understated lyrics express praise to God for his wonderful blessing, Thomas was very careful to warn the boys only to sing the hymns in the privacy of their dorm room during personal time of devotion. Why the secrecy? At that time, the church believed that hymns could only include words directly from the Bible. And the thought that singing your own lyrics was like adding to Scripture itself. Verse 4 begins with this word, rejoice. If you say it in the Greek, it's hiero, hiero. It's a verb, active imperative in the present tense, and it means to be glad in, or to be pleased in, or to take delight in. Said literally, this is how you would say it if you were saying it literally, we must continually be glad. Or we must continually take delight in Jesus. Paul is so adamant about what he's saying here is that he, he actually repeats himself again. I say it again. Take delight in Jesus. Verbs are kind of a funny thing. For a verb to actually work, it means that an action has to be taken and a choice has to happen for that action to be taken. Right? So, for instance, I am running means I put one foot in front of the other one and I decide to move forward. I am running. So that's the very th same thing that Paul is telling us here. He says, you have a choice. Choose today to take delight in Jesus. Choose today to take delight in Jesus. Choose to love him with all your heart. Choose to follow him no matter where he leads. Do so with a happy heart and a Christ-like attitude. So first ingredient, choose to live each day delighting in Jesus. Ingredient number two. This is verses 5 to 7. It says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I've entitled this ingredient, Realizing Who is in Control. One of the toughest things to follow is that crazy little sentence in verse 6. It says, don't be anxious about anything. I don't know if it's just me, or I, I tend to be a person who likes to know things, who likes to plan things, who likes to be somewhat in control of the outcome. Is that, is that just a me thing, or is that other people also struggle with this too? Um, I tend to give my worries to God, say, here, you can look after these few, and I'll look after the rest of them. And even when I give them those worries, I seem to take them back anyways. I also realize that the more I take control of things, the less gentle I become. Anybody else feel like that? The less gentle we become, the more we take control. We become pushy and forceful, brash and abrasive. 
And it's all because we're not getting our way. We become anxious. But when I realize, when we realize who's in control, we look at things a lot differently. The second part of this one says, Paul says, in every situation, in every situation, that's a big word there, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I'm not sure if I need to break that down a little more for you, but I'm going to. It says not in some situations, not in the situations where I feel like I'm out of control, not as a last resort. That's not there either. It says in every situation, by prayer and petition, this means every situation we need to talk to God. The best way I know how to describe prayer is prayer is a conversation with God. It's back and forth. And that basic rule of thumb, I don't know how many of your parents told you this, but you have two ears and one mouth, do twice as much listening as you do talking. That's a pretty good rule of thumb, I think, when it comes to prayer. You don't have to have a list ready for him. He already knows what you need. Um, With thanksgiving. Telling God, thank you every chance you get, changes the way that we talk to God. We now approach him with a thankful heart instead of an entitled heart. So, The second ingredient is this, realizing who is in control, talking to the one who is in control, listening to the one who is in control, thanking the one who is in control, and trusting the one who is in control. So, ingredient one, choose to live every day rejoicing. Ingredient two, realizing who is in control. Ingredient number three, having a godly focus. This is finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. To have a thankful heart, we need to focus on those things that Jesus focused on. I'm going to fill in a few more of these descriptions because I find when we put the words like whatever is true, if you actually look at it in what the Greek commentary says, it adds a whole bunch of really nice descriptive words for us. So this is what what it says. Whatever is true would mean honest and genuine. Whatever is noble, noble means serious, reverent, or holy. Whatever is right means righteous and just. Whatever is pure means holy and innocent. Whatever is lovely means beloved, cheerful, and cherished. Whatever is excellent, meaning morally excellent. Whatever is worthy of praise. So praise is what we direct to God. Whatever, whatever directs glory to God. That should be our focus. There will be times when we need to be corrected because our focus is not on these things. During these times, we need to be humble before God and ask for, for, for forgiveness. We need to humble ourselves before others, too. Paul says, if you have seen any of these things in me, put them into practice. So my question today is, are, things, are these things in your life evident? Could you say what Paul is saying to a younger generation? Better yet, would a younger generation or your peers actually say that about you? If not, it seems to me that you have something, that we all have something that we need to be talking to our Heavenly Father For myself, I have people in my life who are godly examples, and my prayer would be that I would be a godly example too. So, ingredient one, 
choosing to live every day rejoicing or delighting in Jesus. Two, realizing who is in control. Three, having a godly focus. And number four is contentment. (laughs) This is a tough one. So this is what my commentary says about this little piece of the passage. Because when you read through this passage, it gets a little on the confusing side. From Paul's perspective, the primary purpose of this passage is to show the Philippians that while he appreciates their gift, the chief value of their generosity does not lie in the help it gives to him. Instead, in verse 17 and 18, it lies in increasing the spiritual capital of the Philippians and in rendering to God a fragrant, acceptable, and pleasing sacrifice. Their aid demonstrates to Paul their partnership with him in the work of the gospel and shows that they are progressing in sanctification as they move towards the day of Christ. Let me uh, explain that one a little more. Paul was in chains in Rome under house arrest. The church in Philippi was genuinely concerned and had sent him a gift. Paul was grateful for the gift, but he was more grateful for their obedience to their heavenly father and urged them to keep living in a way that is honoring to God. So while they're grateful, he's saying, you're doing awesome, but keep living in a way that is honoring to God. Paul had learned contentment, a trait that seems fairly difficult for lots of us today, myself included. This word contentment can also be translated satisfied. I have learned to be satisfied with what God has for me. Whether well-fed or in need, whether living in plenty or in want, I will be satisfied. That's what Paul is saying. Paul's final word today shows us the best way to live. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So ingredient one, choosing to live every day rejoicing. Ingredient two, Realizing who's in control, ingredient three, having a godly focus, and ingredient four, living satisfied in Jesus or living contently. I think if you take each of these in equal parts and apply them to your life, a grateful heart will be the result. I'm not saying that tomorrow you're going to have a grateful heart. I'm saying that it's a process, right? We're learning to be more like Jesus. Like a good batch of cookies, it takes time and effort and it takes heat to cook it. The recipe is actually living in an intentional way, living as Jesus would have us live. So, as I close today, I have a rather important announcement. Sorry, we have a rather important announcement. I say this because Angie and I have always done and will continue to do ministry together. She is a great ministry partner. We've made the decision to step down as children, youth, and family pastor. This means I'm no longer going to be on staff. I'll no longer be leading the children, youth, and family team, and no longer giving direct leadership to the youth team. God is calling us into a more intentional, relational style of ministry. This means intentionally building huddles and hangouts and helping others grow closer to Jesus and to each other. So what does this look like for us as we move forward? Angie and I care deeply for our students that we've had in our ministry and will continue to do community hangouts with these kids. And each of us are going to be doing our own community hangouts. Um, We'd like to take part 
with the youth team, but we'll no longer be organizing larger events. Uh, youth ministry is actually set up fairly well to run on its own as it is. We just need a few more willing people to invest in the lives of students. Kids ministry is also set up to run as long as we have families to see the necessity of building into the lives of others in their church family and in the community. So we're going to step away from formal church ministry for a little bit, and I'm going to look for a job outside of ministry. Our final Sunday will be November the 1st. The the beauty of this type of ministry is that you don't have to be on staff at a church to do this thing. No matter where you are, you just need to be an obedient follower of Jesus, building relationships. Disciple-making is just something that can happen every day. It just becomes part of your routine. I have been fortunate to be here for 13 years, and sometimes God says, I have more. So I'm still a licensed minister with the EMCC for the time being, and will be continuing discipleship training with Claire. Uh, Let me assure you that God is leading us in a way that he knows best. We trust him completely. So this recipe for a grateful heart is going to be one that's there every day. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you know the best way for us to live and you lead us in that way. We trust you completely. Thank you for Thanksgiving and that we can have a time where we're just able to focus on you and tell you how grateful we are. We just pray all these things in your awesome name. Amen.